Well, good morning. I'm uh, again coming to you from our church here at Cross Point, and I want to welcome those of you who are watching us uh, online today. Our, our service is going to be very different today, and I want you to know I'm, I'm not coming to you today primarily as a preacher. I, I'm coming to you as a pastor. Some of you that joined us, many of you that joined us last week know that we started a series of messages on the 23rd Psalm, and we're going to interrupt that today for obvious reasons. And yet the 23rd Psalm, as we talked about last week, is all about a shepherd and a sheep. I'm an under-shepherd, and I know today that I've got a lot of sheep that are hurting, frightened, confused, and angry. And there are a lot of sheep like me. We're disgusted, frustrated, discouraged, mad, and frankly, somewhat in despair. And yet there's one thing that we all have in common. No matter what color you are, no matter what nationality, no matter what ethnicity, if you're right with God, there's one thing we have in common. All of us have a hunger for justice. All of us have a thirst for righteousness. So I want to introduce to you two brothers that are sitting up here with me today, both very dear friends of mine. The first is William Murray. William is a uh, longtime member of our church. He's a deacon here in our church. And um, he was in a group of men, actually, that I mentored uh, for over a year he has a thriving business here in the heart of Atlanta, has a wonderful, wonderful family. The other brother is Greg Pickman. Greg uh, is in my home group. He is uh, not only just a dear friend, he's one of my most trusted advisors. He's one of my most trusted counselors. So I asked them to join me today because I believe more than ever before, you and I, we need to hear from some voices in the African-American community many of who go to our church, that we love, that we value, that we cherish, that we treasure, that we need. So here's what we're going to do. I, I'm going to ask them some questions. Now, in all fairness, full disclosure, I've given them the questions ahead of time, but they've not been scripted. As a matter of fact, I, I even asked them for input on what they would like to be asked, and I said to them, I'm going to ask these questions, and some of them are hard questions. I want you to say whatever you want to say, because I mean this genuinely, both as their pastor and a white person who grew up 30 miles from here in the buckle of the Bible Belt, in the state that provided more soldiers for the Confederacy than any other state. I need to hear from them today. We need to hear from them today. So, Will and Greg, thank you so much for being a part of this. And Will, I'm going to start with you. How has the recent events impacted you personally? Well, it's been conflicting. I, um, we know of the situation, um, Floyd dying um, at the hands of an officer, um, it going nationwide, worldwide. And... Um, the situation now is no longer about him. Um, now people are, are looting and um, just calling, causing violence, um, destroying things, um, and um, they're destroying, destroying property that people have worked hard for that has nothing to do um, with his death. 
And the best way to go, um, uh, I should say, react to his death, you have to go to the polls. You have to know that nonviolence is the way. Dr. Martin Luther King, that's what he uh, was able to impact the world by, nonviolence. And um, yes, you can have a voice, but it doesn't have to take violence. It's good. Greg, how about you? How's it impacted you personally? Okay. Well, before I go, Pastor, I just want to first just thank you for having this dialogue. It means the world to me that we're sitting down and talking about this, um, and I, I just can't tell you what that means. Amen. For me, the feelings have really been very intense uh, over, this, over the last several days, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a mix. It's anger, it's frustration, uh, it's disappointment, it's despair. And, I, and I'd say it will all be wrapped up with a bow of stress and, and just anxiety. Wow. And um, when I watch uh, George Floyd laying on the ground face down, his hands behind his back, um, pleading for his life, and that neck on his, uh, and that knee in the back of his neck, yeah. it brought tears to my eyes. It, it really did. Yeah. And, and, and part of it, wasn't just seeing a man lose his life, because that was, I mean, that's horrific enough. It, part of it was that knee seemed to represent more than just a knee. It seemed to represent a whole system of just stuff that I've experienced personally. Um, and, and for a, a while as I'm watching it, it felt like that knee was on my neck. It felt like it was on my son's neck my nephews, all the people I knew, that, that knee just felt like it was on our neck as well. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I think has, has just gotten me so emotional about it, is that not only are we seeing a, a man lose his life because of injustice, but that injustice has been around and is still here, and it just kind of makes me in my soul crowd like, Lord, how long, how long do we have to deal with this? Yeah. And, that, and that was just my feelings, and they're still raw. I want to follow up on that, and I'm going to ask you guys a question, and I'm ashamed to say this. I've never asked an African-American this, this question, and it may be one of the most important ones that some of our people need to hear. So, Greg, tell us how you personally have experienced racism in your life. Uh, I, you know, I'm 61 years old and uh, son of scarecroppers, and so... Uh, and now I've worked in a corporate uh, setting for 39 years in a corporation. And so I think I've seen racism from, um, from the aspect of the subtle to the overt. Uh, I remember as a kid seeing my mother and grandmother just being denied the dignity of using a bathroom. Um, I've gone through as a teenager walking through stores and having people follow you as if though you were a criminal. Um, I remember being on a business trip in New York City and uh, coming out of a meeting and could not catch a cab. Cab would not stop for me. Stop for, stop for the guys in front of me, stop for the guys behind me. I couldn't catch a cab. Had to walk, had to walk like several blocks to a hotel to get a cab. I remember um, when I moved to Connecticut uh, and working in a job in, in corporate America and I thought I really had arrived and I met my wife and my son and uh, my other son in a baby carriage, and we're strolling down the street on a sunny afternoon after church, and someone drives by and rolls down the window and yells the N-word at us and tells us that we don't belong in this neighborhood. And so I've experienced all of that, and 
But you know, you, you learn to deal with it. And you know, you learn not to complain. Particularly when you work in corporate America, you know, you, you can't pull the race card. Um, and so, you know, but it never goes away. It, it's it's kind of always there. And it's something that you deal with, uh, but it's real and it hurts. And, and I think these events of the last few days just kind of brought it all back along with a lot of the other stuff. And, and I, will, I want our people to hear what you just said, that, that, that it's real and it hurts. It hurts me just hearing those stories from you. Will, how about you? Um, I've experienced it um, in the same areas, uh, being with my grandma, going into Rich's downtown. Um, you can't touch this. Um, you need to find your parents. Just a child wandering around. Um, Zare with my mother, I don't know if you remember that chain. Um, I was playing with a camera that I saw a white kid playing with, and uh, the lady chose to pick on me. And uh, I brought it to my mom's attention, and um, you know, she took care of things. Let's say that. It, it wasn't nice. Um, having a new car um, as an 18-year-old, driving around, um, pulled over, um, asking for all kind of identification, um, asked to, be, um, to uh, get out the car. Um, why did I have so much money on me? Um, uh, 30 years old, um, you're just being yourself, you get pulled over. You're asking the, the cop, so what did I do? Um, I think um, it might have been 33, 34. My wife and I um, happened on Pleasant Hill Road, went through the light, and um, she was in a new vehicle. I got out the car, started approaching the officer. I'm in a suit. He drew down on me. And uh, the only way I knew he was in the wrong, he said, I didn't have a bullet in the chamber. And I just thought, um, it, it was sad. My children were young, my wife was crying, and she just told me, get back in the car. And I asked him, why did you pull us over? You know, why did you pull her over? She's in a new car, she went through the light. Um, it, was, um, it was clear that she had made it. And um, it, it, it was hurting. And, um, you know, I hate to say this, but it's true. I can respect a white man that has the rebel flag on the front of his car more than I can the guy who's driving the Mercedes that's going to make that decision on my loan at the bank. The guy with the rebel flag on his truck, I know where he's coming from, but the guy who's undercover, I don't know where he's coming from, you know? Um, and um, with those experiences, you just, you, you learn to tread lightly, which is sad and you come up with a different set of rules for your children, you know. And I'll, I'll, I'll wait before I explain that because you, I think you have a question yeah, we'll on that. We'll talk about that in a minute, but you know, we're, we're onto something here. So, um, Will, let me ask you this. What, what is the difference between being non-racist and anti-racist? You know, you're, you're hard pressed, except for some white supremacist fool out there, you're hard-pressed to find anybody to look at you. Yeah, you know, I'm a racist. You know, or, 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 you know, or, you know, everybody's, I'm, I'm not a racist. I'm against. But what is the difference in your mind between being just non-racist and being anti-racist? That was a quick, uh, uh, um, a tricky question for me. And um, so 
um, anti-racist, um, when I looked it up, I comprehended that it was against racism. And non-racism um, would be to look the other way. That's how I comprehended it. Yeah. And um, many a times when we sit up there and look the other way, that's like turning the cheek. And um, every voice needs to be heard. Um, what we're doing now as a panel, coming together, talking things out, um, that's what needs to be done. Um, on this level, um, the law level, um, um, and just the community and worldwide, if we talk it out, we can solve more problems. Um, um, I'm good with the marches, um, but being violent, that's a no-go. Sure. Yeah. How, how would you respond to that, Greg? I, think, I tend to think of non-races as passive. Um, I, think, I think it's the behaviors where you don't participate in racist acts. You don't, you know, you're not, uh, you're not part of a racist organization. It's the things that you don't do. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, as you said, I, most people, I think, are non-racist. Where uh, anti-racist is, is where I think we gotta be, right. is that's when you are active and that you are going after the systems, the processes, the organizational structures that, that promote inequality. And, and that is more of an active stance. That's something you have to get out and do. Right. Um, and I always think of it, you always talk about us about being a Christian. And you always talk about, hey, you know what? It's not that you come to church and all that stuff. It's are you going out and actively promoting and bringing people toward Christ? Because yeah. that's your job. And I think, that's just, I think about anti-racism the same way. Yeah. It's one thing to be non-racist and kind of have the label. And you can feel good about that. But are you really going after and doing what you need to do to bring down the structure that creates the problem in the first place? And you know, it, it's, it's systemic because I, I just read the biography of Ulysses S. Grant. In fact, I just watched a series on Grant. I'm a big uh, student of Civil War. There were a lot of people in the North who were, they, they didn't own slaves, but they weren't necessarily against slave owning. Or they didn't really have strong feelings either way. Right. So I just want to say to, to, the, to me, and it's a lesson for me, no, I'm not a racist. But I want to be just a non-racist. I want to be anti-racist. I want to be proactive in standing against that. Well, I'm going to go back to you one more time because you brought this up and you've got, you know, kids you've raised up in our church. Give us some insight as parents on how being African-American has impacted even the way you've raised your children. Um, having a young man in the house, um, you have to remind him um, constantly, son, you're black. And at the same time, his stature is intimidating. He's 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. Um, so um, the first time he ever drove, I said, son, I said, let me tell you something. These are the rules. You ever get pulled over, the first thing you grab is your license. The second thing you grab is the re registration. And you put your hands out the window. And in each car is my wife's license, my license, each child's license, the insurance, the um, gun carrying tow, um, permit for my wife and I, as well as um, the um, AAA. That's on one piece of paper, laminated. Wow. Wow. So that if they can't find it, they can reach to that glove compartment and hand it to them. And um, you have to explain to your daughter, 
and, and these are harsh words, you're not white. So you can be called on that card at any time, even though you have white friends. Always remember that you're black. Um, she experienced some things down at Tuscaloosa um, at the University of Alabama uh, this year, and she told me about it. And I said, I'm glad you experienced that. Um, I, I think it's good for them to experience it in their life while they're young so they're able to um, realize uh, how harsh the world is. And the great thing that Crosspoint has provided for them is um, a great foundation, uh, as well as my wife. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, she's the firm one in the house, and um, she has instilled in her that, um, hey, you're a strong, young black woman. She says the same to my son. You're a strong, young black man. It's going to be people out there that's, that won't be able to accept how you're doing in life, what your parents are doing in life, or anything like that. So you have to be cautious in all of um, who you choose as friends, and um, the genuineness will show. And most of their friends who are Christians um, that attend church on a regular basis um, um, is who they tend to group with, which is awesome. Yeah. Greg, how would you respond to that? Uh, I, I too have had the, I think a lot of black fathers have the conversation about how to deal with the police. So that was pretty, pretty common, I think, and I've had that conversation. On top of that, uh, I've had a couple of other things. Uh, we had to really make sure our kids knew that life wasn't gonna always be fair. Uh, my, wife, my wife always had a saying to the kids, it's like, fair is something that comes around once a year where they sell cotton candy. Other than that, you might not get fair. And, and we, needed to, we had to teach them that so that they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't be paralyzed at a time when something happened to them that wasn't right. And, and they had to learn how to get over that and be able to move forward because that was the world they were living in. So we had to really teach them that early. Um, we had to teach them to not be bitter uh, because there's a lot of things that could happen to you and that would happen to you that could, that could turn you into a bitter person. And we really had to kind of make sure that, you know, no matter what, there was always a spirit of humility uh, and love inside of them. Because it was really important because they were gonna be challenged, maybe not like, uh, like other folks in terms of things that would make somebody bitter. Right. Uh, and so we had to teach that. And then we also had to teach them, Pastor, we had to teach them that they had to have pride uh, and dignity in who they were. Um, that, you know, you're not necessarily a descendant of slaves. You are a descendant of survivors. Amen. And that you have dignity. Uh, and, and that was something that, you know, a lot of parents, maybe you may not have to think about that, but when you have your child exposed to things they get exposed to um, and the history that they've been exposed to, it's, it's an extra thing they needed to hear and to really have the confidence to go out and what they needed to do and what they needed to do. Uh, you know, you know what's amazing. I'm just sitting here thinking as a dad. When I when I uh, was able to get my my boys their car, first car. Um, those conversations never even. I didn't. I didn't. I told them don't speed. You know, don't run red lights. Be careful. You know, and I didn't look back. My boys told me the other day. One of my boys said, first thing he told me was, "Now look, this car will kill you." It never occurred to me to talk to them about police officers. It never occurred to me to say, "Remember, you're white." It never occurred to me. And, and, and so these are the kind of things that, that again, I, I want all of us to hear 
And so let me just follow up on that, Greg. What message would you like to share with others like myself who have not had your life experience as an African-American? I think first and foremost, um, I want to share with folks, in spite of all that I've endured and I've gone through, I want you to know that I love you, that I don't have hate in my heart for anyone, and that when you hear the anger and the frustration that might be in my voice now, that is not an anger directed at you or directed at white people. That is an anger that's directed at injustice. Yes. Um, and so I want you to really to know that and that, you know, I see this racism as, you know, not a political thing or it's, it's, this is a sin. And, uh, and, and I think um, that's important for all of us to know. Um, and the other thing I, 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 I told you last night when you called me, is I don't want you to feel embarrassed uh, and start and feel ashamed because I am not going to hold you accountable for what some racist person did because I know you. And, um, and so, uh, and I don't want anybody to hold me accountable for people right. who are looting good. and stealing. Mm -hmm. good. And so I think we have to get beyond that where we're brushing uh, the acts of a few with you know, an entire race and we need to start learning how to deal with things and the specific issues and, and, and deal with each other as brothers and sisters. So, Will, along those lines, that's great. On, along those lines, I'm not black, never been black, never will be black. Can't walk a mile in your shoes. I wish I could, but I can't. What message would you share with someone like me who's not had your life experience as an African-American? Um, jokingly, as a funeral director, I'm trying to bury everybody. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> my grandmom always taught me to smile. And through a smile, you can see a genuine person. And um, in the uh, words of Murdis Murray, um, the heart is the purest thing. You can tell when a heart is tainted. It's written all over a person's face. And... Um, I love my friends that are white. I love my friends that are black. <clears throat> and the thing is, trust God in all your actions. He's the only race divider. Yeah. And um, I think you've said it on this stage many a times, um, Sunday is the most racist day <laughs> in the United States. And the congregation that we have, the mix, the blend, yeah. that's what heaven's going to look like. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. And I firmly believe that. And um, to all my people out there who just don't trust um, in the world, um, God is bigger than the universe. And if you place everything in his hands, the universe, not just the world, will be a better place. Amen. Well, let me ask you this, um, Greg, and, and this actually, in full disclosure, this, this question came from you. And so, what would you say to other African Americans who are still trying to deal with everything that's happened over the last several weeks and months? What would be your message to, your, to our African American brothers and sisters? What would you say to them? Yeah, I, I would tell them to lift your head up, to stand up, wipe the tears from your eyes. Jesus told us that following him was never gonna be easy, and it wasn't you were always gonna be treated fair. 
Um, but he said if you put your trust in him, that he would take care and fight all your battles, and he would give you salvation. And I think if we can just remember that and all that was going on, we're going to know that we're going to ha- we'll, we'll know that we're going to have a victory. Um, I think it's important as we go forward also is we have to find constructive ways to change. We need to get involved. We need to start voting. We need to become active in our communities, yes. active in our churches, because that's where the change, when all of, when all of the, the embarrassing feelings and all of the riots go away, that's when the real change starts. No question. Yes. And, and, and I would tell everybody, you got to get engaged and you got to get involved and you, you got to let Jesus uh, be the guide in how you deal with this. And if you have Jesus, then you know you're going to have the victory. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And Will, anything you'd add to that? No, I think he was on point with, with everything. You, you have to let Jesus be your guide. And um, um, as an African-American, just be proud of our heritage. You know, you look back... Um, it, it was slaves um, to the Egyptians. Um, that's been going on since the beginning of time. And how you overcome it is with knowledge, intelligence, um, patience, perseverance, and um, you just have to become involved, just like we are involved at church. We know that the children need to be brought up right. So we have volunteers that come in and, and teach the children the word of the Lord. Yeah. Um, that's how we got hooked at Cross Point because our children wanted to come all the time. And don't be afraid to question a kid or a child when you see them veering in the wrong direction. Speak up. I have this thing at the funeral home, you know, um, when I see a young man with his pants, like, I have belts. Here's a belt. Um, when they're doing wrong, um, I think I've texted you a couple of times to tell you I've gotten out on the corner and prayed with the drug dealers. Yes. You have to be bold because you remember, you know, Jesus went to the bad parts. A lot of people don't know um, when Dr. Martin Luther King was looking for support, he went to the bad parts. He was a nice pool player. A lot of people don't know that. But he was able to get their attention, come down to their level. And when you see something, say something. That's good. Yep. That's good. See yep. something, say something. And um, because being quiet and not being active, um, that's not a hill of beans. That's right. Let, let, this is my last question for both of you, and, and, and I want to thank mm-hmm. you for being on this panel. But... So, Will, I'll start with you. What, what is the single biggest piece of advice you'd give to all of us, no matter what your color is, no matter what your race, nationality, it doesn't matter. What is the biggest single piece of advice you'd give to all of us on what we can do proactively moving forward to begin a process of racial reconciliation? First of all, um, take a knee in that quiet place. Talk to God. Ask him for counsel. After you talk to God, then get with your family. You got to start with the core. Yes. Talk to them. Ask them how they feel. Develop a dialogue with them. Then from there, 
Find out what you can do in your community, what, can, what you can do in your church. And overall, um, just remember the Ten Commandments. It was simple stuff when we were children. We had to learn them by heart. And just love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's good. That's good. How about you, Greg? What would you say? I think to boil it all down is be like Jesus. Yeah. I, I would say that's what we need to do. Jesus was never silent when he saw wrong, he saw evil, he spoke out. Um, Jesus always um, went out and, and, and fellowship with people that wasn't like him. Nobody was like him, but he fellowship with folks. And, um, and so I think what we have to do is get out and get to know people that are not like you. Absolutely. Develop a relationship. My small group is so precious to me because I get to pray uh, and have in-depth conversations with people who don't have the same backgrounds that I do. Um, and that's important. I think that's a big part of this is understanding and getting to know each other and getting to know each other's spirit. And, and that can only come when we step out and engage with each other. And then I think the third thing that Jesus always did is we got to minister each other's needs. Yes. And, and we just got to do that. And so if we just try to be like Jesus and try to follow his model, I think it's going to bring around the reconciliation we need. Amen. Well, I want to say, first of all, I, I just can't thank you guys. You know how much I love you and how much I've loved you for years. And I can't thank you enough for, for being a part of this. And I just want to say a word just, just to our people. And just, I'm just sharing my heart. This is not three points in a poem. But I just want to share my heart. So one of my heroes was Dr. Billy Graham. Some of you have already maybe never heard of him. Dr. Graham was probably the greatest evangelist uh, probably in, in American history for sure. And um, he was asked a question one time. He was on a network news program. And the question was this. They said, if you could eradicate any problem in America... What would it be? And I mean immediately and directly. This is what Dr. Graham said, and I'm quoting. The racial division and strife in our nation. I don't think true words have ever been spoken because I don't believe it. It's not only one of the great problems facing our nation. But guys, I think it may be the greatest problem facing the kingdom of God right now. Let me tell you why. If we do not eliminate racial strife and racial division and racial discrimination, and racial attitudes in the church. We will never do it in the nation. It'll never happen. And so I, I want to take just a moment, and, and I just want to share with you today my heart, which really just comes out of the Word of God. And I want to ask especially and particularly my white brothers, my white sisters, my, all of us who are Caucasians, to consider four truths that surely ought to dictate the way that we see people of any color, nationality, or an ethnicity. Here's truth number one. I quote from Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The starting point is to understand that every single person is created in the image of God. I'm white. These guys are African-American. But there's one thing we have in common, and it's what makes us who we are. Stamped on him and stamped on him is the image of God. We are all born in the image of God. We're all created in the image of God. That's why I want you to hear this. We don't give people dignity. They have dignity. We don't give people worth. 
They're born with worth. The most important part of every person, the part that truly makes us human, is we are God's image bearers. Uh, the founding fathers had it right. They said all men are created equal. They had it right. They just did not practice what they preached. And here's what I want you to hear. Racism doesn't just discriminate. It dehumanizes. It makes someone less than human that really is human. And it not only violates the very heart of God, it violates God himself. The God who said that on this man and this man and all of us, he has stamped on us the image of God. That's truth number one. Here's truth number two. The apostle Paul said this in Galatians 3.28. He said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. I love this. We are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, dignity and value and worth not only transcends race, it transcends gender. It transcends socioeconomic status. It transcends education, intelligence, physical abilities. I mean, the, the Bible very clearly states God does not look on the outward appearance. God looks on the inward heart. And the only thing that should ever matter to any of us anytime we meet another human being is what's their heart. What is in their heart? Every person, Dr. King was right. We should never judge someone by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And I want to say this as strongly as I can. Only a person with no character focuses on someone's skin. Only someone with no character makes it a point to look at, no, at, any, at anything uh, or at nothing other than the pigmentation of someone's sin. Skin, that's truth number two. Here's truth number three. You said it a minute ago. Well, Jesus boiled down every single commandment that God's ever given into two. Here's what he said. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is important to understand. You will always obey the second commandment when you obey the first commandment. If you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself because the first commandment always takes care of the second commandment. So here's the problem with racism. Not only does racism dehumanize the other person, it defies the law of love. Because when you love your neighbor as you love yourself, if you just obey that one commandment, let me tell you what that means. If I love my neighbor as I love myself, if, if Greg's my neighbor, if I love Greg as I love myself, doesn't matter what color his skin is. It doesn't matter what nationality he has. It doesn't matter what ethnicity he possesses. It doesn't even matter what political view he has. It doesn't matter what his philosophy of life is. It doesn't even matter whether he's a believer or not. If you love God, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. So I'm going to make a statement right now, and I really thought about it. It's probably as strong a statement as I will ever make as a pastor. It's going to upset some of you, and that's all right. If this makes you mad, you come find me and apologize. I'll forgive you. You are not a true believer. You cannot be a true follower of Jesus. You cannot be a true Christian if you're a racist. 
I'm going to say that again. You cannot be a true believer. You cannot be a true follower of Jesus. You cannot be a true Christian if you're not a racist. Now, you may be protesting and say, well, who are you to judge me? And who are you to say who is and who isn't? It's not me. Let me tell you what one of Jesus' disciples said, the apostle John. He said in 1 John 4, 20, listen to this. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they've not seen. In other words, to put it very plainly, here's what John said. You cannot love a God that you have not seen if you don't love a brother or a sister that you have seen. And I'm going to flip it. If you truly love a brother that you have seen, it's one of the proofs that you really do love the God that you haven't seen. Now, here's truth number four. We'll be finished. If you love God, here's the acid test. If you love God, you love who Jesus loves. You love who God loves. You know who God loves? Everybody. He loves the the African-American. He loves the Caucasian. He loves the liberal. He loves the Democrat. He loves the Bama fan. He loves the Bulldog fan. He loves the Democrat. He loves the Republican. And if you love God, you love who God loves, and God loves everybody. That's why I want to tell you, the only final solution to the racial problem we're facing is Jesus. Really and truly. Listen, racism is not a head problem. Racism is a heart problem. And the biggest need that we have and the only one that's really going to meet this need and solve this problem is not legislation. Yes, we need legislation. I'm all for it. But look at all the laws we've passed and look where we are today. The biggest need we have is not legislation. It is transformation. See, the scripture says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, but I'm finally, I'm absolutely convinced of this. We will never be reconciled horizontally until we're reconciled vertically. We'll never be reconciled with each other until we're reconciled with God. So, what do we do? We're not just going to let this lie here. What should we do? Well, let me tell you two things we need to do today. We need to do right now. In your home, I want you to do this with me. First of all, we need to lament. We, We need to ask God to break our hearts for people of any race, any color, any ethnicity, any nationality who have been or are being discriminated against. We need to lament. We need to have a tear in our eye. We need to have a break in our heart. But then we need to repent. We need to repent of any part we've ever played that, 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 that's brought us to this narrative and be willing to take action and do what we can, whatever we can, wherever we can to bring peace and to build bridges and to break down barriers between all races. Even this very morning, I had to ask God, God, search my heart. Lord, for those times in my life where I've had thoughts towards someone because they were a different color, where where, where I've sat in judgment on someone for something I should not have done. God, forgive me. Now, the question is, 
So how do we do this? Pastor, what do we need to do moving forward? I'm going to take the suggestion that my brothers gave, and I want you to write these three things down. If not in your heart, on a piece of paper, put it in your phone, put it in your iPad. Let me tell you three things we all need to begin to do, but especially those of us who have never lived the kind of life these men have lived, especially those of us who have been born with a color that I was born with. Number one, we need to listen. We need to listen. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We've done too much talking. I'm talking about us, we, us. We've done too much talking, not enough listening. We need to listen particularly to minorities and especially to African Americans. We need to do what we've done today. Tell me your story. To tell me your narrative. Well, what have you experienced that I've never experienced? What have you heard that I've never heard? What's been said to you and to your kids that's never been said to mine? We need to listen to their narrative and let them share their heart with us. Number two, we need to learn. We need to be open to their advice and to their counsel. How, how, can, how can I be better as a pastor? How can I be better as a white man? How can I do better as a follower of Jesus? How can I show people like you that I love you, that I really care about you, and how can I show you that before God, I, I really want us to understand the color of our skin is irrelevant to all of us. All that matters is our love for Christ. And so how can we be better and do better, and how can we join them in satisfying the hunger and the thirst for justice and righteousness that all of us should have? So we need to listen. We need to learn. And then the last thing, we need to love. We need to do two things with people that don't look like us. Number one, we need to go find them and be friends to them. Go to dinner with them. Invite them into your home. Drop them a personal note. Call them. Talk to them. Let them know, I want us to be friends. And then, because we want to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life, we want to turn our friends into brothers and sisters. You know what I'm learning to now? Even with social distancing, you can go out to lunch. You can sit outside. You can get on the phone. You can talk to others. On my way to church today, I called two African-Americans on my way to church today just to say, hey, I'm on my way to church. How are you doing? Tell me, tell me about your heart. Tell me how I can pray for you. Tell me what I can do for you during these difficult days. That's the thing that's really going to help move the ball down the field. I want to know your hurt. I want to know your heartache. I want people to know. We need to let people know we care. We need to let them know that, they, that we're there. We need to let them know they can share with us their heart and that we will respond the way that Jesus would respond. So let me say this. At our church, we believe that every race needs amazing grace. Every race needs amazing grace. So I want to say to you from my heart today, whether you are an African-American or a Caucasian or an Asian or Hispanic or Indian, it doesn't matter. We're all sinners in need of a Savior all of us. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ today, I, don't want, I want to invite you to give your heart to the one who through a cross has reconciled all of us to God. And through a resurrection has given all of us the power to be reconciled to each other. You see, what I love the most about these men, I love the Jesus that lives in him. 
I love the Jesus that lives in him. And the cross and the resurrection, that's the glue that will hold us together. That's the power that will bring us together. That's the might that will keep us together. So, if you're white like me, maybe you need to be saved from your racism. Maybe you need to be saved from your prejudice. Maybe you need to be saved from your bias. Maybe you need to be saved from that prideful attitude that's made you think deep down, I've got to be better than him because I've got a lighter color skin. Maybe that's where you need to be saved. If you're African American or you're a minority, maybe you need to be saved today from your anger and your bitterness. So as your pastor, this is what I'm calling you to do right now. For all of you listening right now, let's come together at the foot of the cross. And whether you're black or white or whatever your color may be, whatever your nationality, your ethnicity, whatever your political persuasion, put all of that aside. If you need Jesus, and you do, because we all do, if you say, you know what? I'm not going to go through what I'm going through right now alone. I am not going to go through what I go through with this anger and this bitterness and this poison in my heart. I will not go through it with the poison of racism and prejudice and bias, and I will not go through it with the poison of anger and bitterness and resentment. I want to go through this with Jesus going through it with me and for me. I want to know that I know this God that created all of us equal. I want to know that one day I'll spend eternity with this God that loved me enough to give me life. And if today you would say right now, I want to give my life to that Jesus. I want to give my life to that God. Would you just pray this prayer with me right now, just in your heart? Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. Come into my heart and save me. I trust you as my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for giving me eternal life. And I give you my heart as you give me the power to live for you forever and forever. Now, here's what I want to ask you to do. Did you pray that prayer? On your screen right now, there's a number. I'd like to ask you to text two words to that number. That's all you got to do. Just get out your phone, your iPad right now. If you made a decision today to give your life to Christ, text yes Jesus. That's it. Just text yes, Jesus. And then you'll see what you need to do. We want to hear from you. We want to follow up with you. If you've been watching, get on the chat, uh, the chat uh, conversation. Let us hear from you. L let us know how we've, we, hopefully we've ministered to you today. And, and I'm going to come back in a moment. We've got a couple of more worship songs we're going to bless you with. And I want to come back with one last word. But, but I just want to say this, to, especially to my African-American brothers and sisters. And again, thank you, brothers, for being a part of the service today. I want you to know as your pastor, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful that I get to be your pastor. I love you. I thank God for you. I treasure you. We need you. We're not through here. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. We're not just non-racist. We're anti-racist. We want to do everything we can to break down those barriers and build up those bridges.
So as we begin to worship one last time, our Lord and our Savior, stay tuned because I've got to come. I want to come back with some important words you need to hear. And thanks for being a part of the service today.